go. A special hello goes out to Director Media for the Boston Bruins alumni, Mr. Marco Aaron. Nice to see you, Marky. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind-the-scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Sweeney trying to come back in the center ice for Reed. One man back, Diddick. Reed checked by Diddick. Able to keep the puck in for Sutter. Sutter for Tim Sweeney. The shot on the save. Tim Sweeney scores! Tim Sweeney wins it for the Bruins. Set up by Sutter. And the Bruins win 6 to 5. 1992 U.S. Olympian and 10 year pro Tim Sweeney is our guest on episode 33 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. A Hall of Fame four-year player at Boston College, Tim played alongside numerous future NHLers such as Craig Janney, Brian Leach, and Doug Brown. Tim was drafted by the Calgary Flames in 1985 and began his pro career in 89-90 with the Salt Lake Eagles of the IHL, where he led the team in scoring and was voted as the top U.S. rookie in the league. While with the parent Flames in 1992, Tim was chosen to play for the United States in the 1992 Olympic Games. The unheralded U.S. squad finished fourth in those games, and Tim tied for the team lead in points with seven. After a pair of prolific seasons with Providence in the AHL, Tim was chosen by the expansion Anaheim Mighty Ducks in 1993 expansion draft, and he enjoyed an excellent season in that Ducks' first ever campaign. Eventually, Tim would make his way back to Boston with the Bruins and then the New York Rangers, and he was productive for both teams before retiring in 1999. In this interview, Tim reveals a lot of interesting anecdotes about people he met along the way, including Stu Grimson, Joey Mullen, Raymond Bork, and Wayne Gretzky. Today, Tim is a successful businessman in Massachusetts and remains a key player for the Boston Bruins alumni team. Now, let's talk classic hockey with Tim Sweeney. We're back on the show with a 10-year NHL pro who, if you're a Massachusetts kid playing hockey, he hit the trifecta. He played for Boston College, for whom he'd eventually be put into their Hall of Fame. He played for the Boston Bruins, and he played for the U.S. Olympic hockey team. Welcome, Tim Sweeney, to the show. Thanks for being with us, Tim. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate you guys having me. Growing up in Weymouth, Massachusetts, uh, you grew up uh, a little bit at the tail end of the of the Bobby Orr and the Big Bad Bruins era and kind of in the, the, the Don Cherry, Lunch Pail Bruins. Um, I'm assuming that uh, you had an interest in, in playing hockey uh, at a pretty early age. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I was I was at the tail end of the Bobby Orr era. So in the mid-70s uh, was huge for hockey around here. Bobby Orr, Phyllis Mazzino, like, I mean, Phyllis Mazzino growing up was one of my favorite players because he was a forward, I was a forward, and, mm-hmm. you know, it was just, <clears throat> being a Bruins fan back in those days was huge, and it got a lot of people interested in playing hockey. And uh, especially now that they won two cups and in the seventies, I think it, it almost seems like they were going to finals every year. And yeah. it just made hockey that much more interesting to us growing up, uh, you know, in the suburbs of Boston. 
Tim, you progressed through youth hockey in the Weymouth area and then went on to have a standout career at Weymouth North High School, a public high school here in Massachusetts. I was curious why you made the decision to play in, in a public school as opposed to perhaps a private school or a prep school. Yeah, high school hockey was one of my favorite times ever. It really was. Uh, I got to play with a lot of my best friends growing up. Um, you know, at, at the time, public schools were still really good in mm-hmm. hockey. Um, um, I was, you know, I, a lot of people wanted me to go like BC High at the time. They were really good. I, I had a, a few friends from Weymouth that actually went to BC High. But, you know, I, I looked at Weymouth North as there was a lot of good players there. And I, and I really wanted to play with my friends. And that's mm-hmm. just how it played out. Uh, we had some really good teams here. I mean, Weymouth North back in those days, we had a probably a three or four year period. We had probably six six or seven guys actually go to Division One hockey. So wow. uh, back in those days, it wasn't that bad to stay in the public schools, especially if you had good players there. What was it like being a, a young man at the time, 16, 17 years old? You're getting... Uh, recruited not only by colleges but you're also being scouted by the pros when did you first get a feeling that you you'd be able to take it up to the next level and when did you start getting that attention from uh, from scouts yeah i mean my junior year in high school was kind of a breakout year for me i um you know as you know matured everybody hits their you know, maturity at a different age and my junior year happened to be the year that i grew like six inches that year mm-hmm. and um I ended up having kind of a breakout year my junior year, and that's kind of when everybody started to come calling. And uh, <clears throat> Hockey night in Boston back in those days was huge, and I went to a couple of those tournaments and really was one of the better players there. So I, I started to get a lot more attention my junior year in high school. Um, you know, quite frankly, back in those days, getting drafted wasn't, wasn't in any of our minds because mm-hmm. in the early 80s, you know, I think Bobby Carpenter might have been the first guy drafted really high, but there wasn't, there just wasn't a lot of mass guys being drafted at all. Right. Um, and, uh, so that really was never anything in the picture. And then my senior year, I started to get a lot more interest in a lot of the pro scouts. The local Bruins guy, Joe Lyons at the time, was probably at every one of my games. So I, that's when <laughs> I started to realize that, oh, maybe uh, maybe there's a chance there that I may get drafted. But back in those days, without social media and without anything, it was like you didn't really know a lot until you saw these scouts at the games. But my senior year, I really there was a lot of scouts at games my senior year. So I kind of figured if I if I performed that I might have a chance to get drafted. Right. So it wasn't back then, it wasn't a – dramatic you you go to the draft and you wait it was kind of like one of the, every time i talk to guys not ever it's almost like you know they're out golfing and someone called them or they or whatever yeah. but uh, how did you uh how did you find out you were drafted by calgary and uh what was your thought about that yeah i found out that night so yeah back in those days unless you were a probably a high first round pick that people thought you were going to go you didn't really go to the draft so when I was a senior in high school, the draft was in Montreal, and I, you know, people tell you you get drafted in the fourth round. You don't know when you get drafted. So mm-hmm. um, I found out that night. I wasn't even home. They called, and this was before cell phone. So right. uh, they called my, and my my mother answered the phone. That's when she found out that I get drafted by Calgary, and I literally didn't find out till later on the night because my mother had to wait till I actually got home to tell me because obviously <laughs> I had no cell phone. Right. <laughs> so, 
I probably found out midnight that night when I got home. But I, quite frankly, Calgary Flames are very new to the NHL back then. I didn't really know a lot about them. Um, all I knew was it was probably the furthest team away to get drafted by. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 3,000 3, miles. Yeah, but, but back then, you're very happy that someone actually liked you and drafted you in the sixth round. And um, it was it was kind of one of those things where, wow, I'm actually got drafted by an NHL team. And, that, and that's kind of when it clicks in. It's like, hey, you know, these people really like me to take me in the round. So they, obviously they think I have potential to play in the NHL. So that's kind of when it kind of clicks in. Right, and they were a, you know, a strong franchise back then. I think that year, 85-86, they were in the finals. And uh, so it said a lot to be drafted. Of course, uh, you choose to go the college, college route with Boston College uh, with a lot of talented New England players. Uh, why, did you, why did you end up uh, choosing BC? Yeah, so BC, um, when I was in youth hockey, we had a, um, a, a trip that went to see BC play at the old McHugh Forum, and Joe Mullen was playing for BC at the time, and all I could say was Joe Mullen was one of the best college players I've ever saw play, and, I, I, and from that point on, I always was a big BC fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when they started to show interest in me, I, it, there really wasn't like a competition with anybody. Like I always wanted to go to BC. So it wasn't like I got recruited by a lot of other really good schools, but it really, once I went to the school, visited met the coaching staff and I was like, you know, waiting for them to offer me a scholarship. I was like, when they offer me, like, it's going to be a yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, that it was really a no brainer. And, uh, Lenny Siglowski, who was our coach there, God rest his soul, he just passed a little while ago. But yeah. you know, he um, was was the one that was always at my games. Uh, he lived in Duxbury, I lived in Weymouth. He was at a lot of my games. So he he was the guy that noticed me, and you know, I can't thank him enough for allowing me to go to Boston College because uh, it was one of the best four years of my life. You certainly had a lot of success there, and. You come in as a freshman. Team does not lack talent. You, you, you. Early in your career, at BC, you've got guys like Brian Leach and Kevin Stevens and uh, Craig Janney. Uh, what was that experience like? I mean, just just in general, you're playing with a lot of kids your age who can really play, who've got pro prospects. Um, a coach you like? Uh, talk to me a little bit about the BC hockey experience. Yeah, going in there as a freshman was was a tough transition for me because I wasn't going, I didn't, I was coming from public school. I didn't go to a prep school. There was a lot of guys that came from prep schools. Um, and we were loaded at the time. Like we had a ton of forwards. Um, and a lot of guys in my position maybe would have said, Hey, I'm going to go to a lesser school so I can play more. And Mm -hmm. that was never my thought. My thought was I'm going to a school that's going to have the best players. So I'm going to see these guys every day in practice. And I'm going to, I'm going to practice against some of the best players in college hockey. And that's the way I looked at it. Like I'm going to get better in practice every day. Mm -hmm. Um, So my freshman year, I actually uh, struggled the bit. I didn't play a ton. And I wasn't that bummed out about it because we, we really were a very talented group up front. We had 10 seniors that year. So I just knew as long as my sophomore year, I was going to get a real chance to play. Um, so um, 
my sophomore year, I got a chance to play. I played with Craig Janney in the line. And Craig, I think, as you know, Craig was one of the best playmakers there is mm-hmm. out there. And uh, I had a huge sophomore year. Um, so my my time at BC was great. And I think the biggest thing was just surrounding yourself with great players that you know are going to be going to the NHL. And that's how you get better. You get better by practicing against guys that are really good. Um, and that was that was one of my fondest, fondest memories. Like, I remember my sophomore year, I had 31 goals, which in college hockey is a lot of goals. Sure is. And I wasn't, I wasn't even on the first power play. <laughs> <laughs> we had our first power play was, and I couldn't even complain, which is even funnier because, right. you know, we, Evan Stevens, Ken Hodge Jr., Craig Janney up front. Then we had Brian Leach and Greg Brown on the point. So I'm like, so who am I going to complain about? Right, exactly. Like, we had really good players on the first <laughs> So, and But it was a lot of fun playing on a team like that because we averaged, I think we averaged like six goals a game. Um, we just could score in bunches, and it was really fun to play. Um, but that's what I remember about BC. I got to play with a lot of good guys, but a lot of talented guys that went on to have great NHL careers. Oh, absolutely. So your career ends at Boston College. You're a first-team Hockey East All-Star, and now it's off to the rough-and-tumble world of pro hockey with the Calgary Flames. I was curious what that first uh, pro hockey camp was like for you. Yeah, I mean, my camp was a little different because the year I went, the year I signed my contract, actually, Calgary Flames just won the Stanley Cup in 89. Right. They were stacked. Oh, they yeah. had, I'm guessing they probably have six or seven Hall of Famers that were on that team. Oh, yeah, they were um, loaded. It was going to be a tough go for me to make that team. So I, And I knew that. So that year they were actually going over to Russia to play a couple of games. So the, the camp was different because it was a lot of the guys that were left behind that weren't with the Flames. So it was a little bit different. I wasn't against I wasn't in a camp playing against some of the Calgary Flames, but the biggest thing that I noticed was Joey Mullen was held back because he had a groin injury, so he didn't go to Russia. Mm-hmm. Just watch work ethic during our practices and then how well he skated and the stamina he had. Uh, you really notice uh, when you go up against you know elite athletes that how good they are. And that's one of the things I noticed with Joey Mullen, that if you look at him, he doesn't seem like a great skater. He doesn't seem like a lot of things, but then you're out there on the ice with him, and you're like, whoa. Yeah. Like your eyes your eyes get opened up pretty quick. They sure do. You know, when and I, when I work right. for the, uh, well, the Penguins and, and Joe ended up there, again, he, he's just one of those guys. Like you say, you see him on the street or something, you know, he just looks like a regular guy. But his hand-eye coordination, his anticipation – uh, toughness, really remarkable. The reason why he scored 500 goals and he's one of the best U.S. guys ever because mm-hmm. this guy just had it. And the, the thing that surprised me about him the most was he was never really known as a great skater, but then you're out there on the ice with him coming from college and like I'm like, this guy is actually a pretty good skater. Right. <laughs> it's all relative. So, uh, yeah. you know, it, and then, Exactly. So, um, and then, and then you realize that I know it's changed these days, but back in, in my day, like, uh, off ice work and shape, getting in shape wasn't top priority back in those days. Mm-hmm. And when you go to your first camp and you see guys like, uh, Al McGinnis, Gary Suda, what kind of shape they're in, 
like it's an eye opener to say, hey, I, I have a lot of work to do. Right. You had a college schedule where you would play, you know, with tournaments and, and whatever, you know, 40, 50 games a year. That first year pro, obviously, 81 games, a lot of travel. And you got a tough team. You even had the, the, the Grim Reapers, Stu, uh, Stu Grimston on that Salt Lake Golden Eagles team. What was that first year pro like for you? Yeah, the first year pro was an eye-opener because uh, um, I always – I mean, I always thought that I was a good player, and I always thought that I could step in and play with, you know, with the likes of anybody in pro hockey. But the physical side and what stuff that I never saw, I saw in, in training camp, like Stu Grimson, who I who I still talk to to this day. He's still he's still a good buddy. Mm-hmm. I ended up playing with him in the NFL. Well, um, he literally in my first exhibition game that we played against Vancouver Canucks um, farm team. Stu Grimson had five fights the first <laughs> exhibition place. So wow. here I am, a college guy, watching this guy fight five times because in the exhibition games, they don't kick you out after like two fights. They just let you fight. <laughs> right. um, so it's a crazy scenario, and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, you realize pretty soon that these guys have jobs to do, and that's how they're going to make it. Stu knows that he's not that skilled, and this is how he's going to make it. So mm-hmm. that's what he's got to do. And I realized real quick how I was going to make it, and that was going to be how to score. Right. And that's what I did right away. I think I established myself as a scorer pretty much right in training camp, and, and I, it led to me actually leading the minor league team and scoring that year. Um, so I established myself really quick that, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to score here, and I'm, and I'm gonna score, and that's what's gonna get me to the NHL. Good decision, and you uh, you score yes, <laughs> you score 40, 46 goals uh, that first year, eighty nine ninety. The next year, uh, you get to spend time with the big club, and as you said, um, the Calgary Flames of that generation were loaded with. Uh, hockey legends, uh, Sergei Markarov, Doug Gilmore, Joe Neuendijk, Al McGinnis, Theo Fleury, uh, Joey Mullen we talked about. So you come up to, you're, you're playing in Calgary. Do you remember uh, your, your first NHL game and your first NHL goal? Mark, I will never forget my first <laughs> NHL game and NHL goal. You know why? Because I don't think anybody else has done exactly what I did in my first game. So... Um, <laughs> My first game, I scored my first goal, and I scored it in overtime. Wow, I did not know that. I don't think anybody else has done that till this day. Um, That's so a good I piece of trivia. Everything. I want to bet you even John Horgan doesn't know that. Piece of trivia. I think I told him oh, at okay. some point. <laughs> it might have went right over his head, <laughs> but... I don't think any, the, the only reason why I know that is because a few years back, someone sent me an email saying um, someone got an assist in overtime in their first NHL game, but it, it wasn't a goal. And I think I'm the only one that actually scored their first goal in their first game in overtime. Who's the, um, uh, who's the opposing team, Tim? So we were playing Vancouver. Kirk McLean was the goalie. Um, and I played a lot for my first game. I was actually playing with Doug Gilmore and Sergey Makarov on a wow. line. Um, and Doug Gilmore passed it back to the point, and Gary Suda ended up taking a, a shot on net, and I I was right there for the rebound, and I put it home. So it wasn't wasn't like I went end to end and roofed it, but it was, <laughs> it was um, you know just 
being in the right spot at the right time. But um, that's my first goal, and I don't think anybody else has scored their first goal in overtime ever. I don't think. Well, you'll um, you'll always have that distinction. Um, you, you only the yeah. only thing people can do is tie you. Uh-huh. Uh, so right. Well, next year, Tim, it's more up and down. You're dominating at Salt Lake, still having a challenge getting ice time in Calgary. You get a call from the U.S. Olympic hockey team, an opportunity to play for them. How did that decision uh, transpire? That whole process get underway? Yeah. So so my. My um, the year with Calgary was I was just in and out of the lineup and, and like I, I I really didn't have a gripe because I mean we're a really good team mm-hmm. um, you know just the fact that they would keep me there and let me go in and out of the lineup I was you know I was fine with I I just thought there was going to come a point where they're probably just going to want me to play because I was so young still and they they're going to want me to play and go to Salt Lake or, which is fine but. The U.S. team came to me that summer and, and wanted me to join them that summer. And, you know, Calgary was like, well, we think you're going to make the team. So, you know, come to Calgary first. And, you know, if something, if something happens that you don't make the team, maybe we can loan you to the Olympic team. So I was in Calgary. I was, I was in Calgary. I wasn't playing a ton. And it just came to a point where I was like, you know, I think it was December and the Olympics were in February and the U.S. was, U.S. still was like, we'd still love to have you. So I went to Calgary and they were like, go ahead, we'll loan you to the Olympic team. You can play the Olympics and just come back after that. And that's ended, that ended up happening. And uh, uh, it was probably the best decision of my life. I had, the Olympic, playing for the Olympic team was awesome. Um there was a ton of Massachusetts guys on the team at the time, so I, I was very familiar with a lot of guys that were on the team. So it wasn't like I was coming into a situation where I really didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really was. It was a great situation to go into and knew a lot of the guys on the team. We ended up really having a good Olympics, just lost in the bronze medal game. Um, great experience, um, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, and, you know, Calgary, Calgary, when I came back from the Olympics, were trying to send me to Salt Lake. And at the time, I was just like, you know, I was going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So I just right. didn't go to Salt Lake. And I ended up signing with Boston after that. And going back to that Olympic experience again, that 92 team was highly underrated and ended up finishing fourth. The surprise team ended up running into that powerful Russian unified team. Nonetheless, it had to be incredibly special to put on that USA sweater, hear that national anthem, and, and represent your country. Yeah, I mean, playing for your country, there's really, there's really no other feeling that, especially in the Olympic atmosphere. Like, I mean, I grew up in Weymouth. I mean, I had the whole town of Weymouth behind me. I had, I had signs in the post offices saying, good luck to Tim Sweeney in the Olympics. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, my parents, and, you know, my in-law, and all the kids, all the people I grew up with in Weymouth, uh, it was an awesome experience because, you know, you can play in the NHL, which is great, but sometimes the Olympics is a little different. Uh, people look at the Olympics like, I can't believe you. Still to this day, they're like, you know what? I keep forgetting you played in the Olympics. Like, that was, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah, I know. It was awesome. It is. It's only they tr- always picture me. Yeah, it's only 20 yeah, guys. It's picture- once every four years. It's so rare to do. Right, and a lot of people say, I know you played in the NHL for a while, but, you know, I, I forgot you played in the Olympics. That must have been awesome. I'm like, it was awesome. Like, it was a great, I mean, 
one of the best experiences of my life. Um, playing for your country when you put USA on is it just changes a lot of different things. Like you're playing for your country all of a sudden. It's like, wow, this is pretty awesome. So the whole experience was great. Like from, from the day I joined the team to the day we lost in the bronze medal game, it was awesome. And I still ran into and talked to a lot of the guys on that team. Um, you know, you, you play in, in, in venues like that. It's just that you, you don't see guys for a while and you run into them. It's like nothing's ever changed because you've gone through such a good experience with them. It's just, right. it's, uh, so uh, that NAFS team had a ton of guys, uh, that team had a ton of guys from NAFS. So I still see those guys all the time. Um, and this, there's not much more you can say about playing for your country other than the Olympics because it doesn't get any better than that. It no. really doesn't. Um, it would have been nicer to get a medal, but we know that we competed hard. We we ran into a a Russian team that was just they were awesome. Yeah, like their whole team completely went to the NHL when we were done, and uh, they were really they ended up getting the gold. They were, I mean, they were the best team. And I think the bronze medal game we lost to the Czechs, I think we just ran out of steam. Mm-hmm. I think we were so disappointed that we lost to Russia that we just ran out of steam. But what an, what an opportunity to play for your country. And uh, it's something that is not brought up a lot when people talk about me and just say I played in the NHL, play for the Bruins. But it doesn't come up a lot. And it's surprising because uh, that was probably one of my best experiences before the NHL. Right. Well, you certainly acquitted yourself well individually and as a team. As you said, you signed with the Bruins as a as a free agent eventually. You go to Providence yeah. playing for Mike O'Connell in 92-93, and you just tear it up. Uh, 41 goals in just 60 games. Actually, 41 goals and 55 assists in just 60 games. Uh, playing for the Providence Bruins, I assume you had a lot of family coming down to watch you play. Um, you get a, a call up with the Bruins uh, that season as well. I was curious, what was it like uh, playing for Ray, who was about, about his 12th year at that point, uh, on his way to a you know, obviously certified Hall of Fame career? Uh, what were your impressions of Ray as a teammate? So Ray uh, was was the ultimate teammate. Um, I loved playing with Ray. Um, Ray was one of those guys that went out and practiced every day and worked harder than anybody else, came to work every day, um, and he set that precedent for everybody that was behind him that, hey, this is what I'm doing every day. I'm working hard. I'm one of the hardest workers, and I expect you to do the same. And I think he set that precedent right away. Mm-hmm. Um so you came to work every day in practice. When you got your best player working his butt off every day in practice, trying to get better, staying late, working on a shot, uh, that's, there's something to be said for that. And so oh, yeah. I think Ray was ultimate pro. Like uh, not only he has all these records, not only was he he was durable, he played so many minutes a night, but you saw it every day in practice. Like this guy worked his is he worked harder than anybody on the ice and uh, never said a word, just said, hey, I, he, he brought his lunch bill to work, went to work, worked on what he had to do. But that was one of the, be- the best lessons that I learned from Lay was like, no matter who you are, come to practice, mm-hmm. ready to work every day. And that's, I mean, that's, that's his mantra. Well, he played for 22 years and that's what he did every, every practice. And uh, I think anybody that's played with Ray would tell you the same thing that, you know, he could 
be funny at times, but he was always serious when he got <laughs> on the ice. And he was always one of the hottest workers as well. Right. I see that sometimes in the alumni games, if you guys fall behind, <laughs> he, uh, he dials oh, it up. Yeah. He'll, he'll dial it up a Watch notch. <laughs> It's, uh, it's great to see. It was funny, too. I, just as an aside, I was behind the bench where we did a game in Rockland, and I was standing next to Dave uh, David Jensen. And at some point in the game, uh, the puck came through the middle, and Ray collected it and wheeled out of his own zone, just behind his own blue line, and wheeled out through center. And it's funny because both David and I both looked at each other like, just saying, like, wow! You can almost hear the hear the difference of his skating, like the way his skates just dig in and glide. It, even to this day, when he's you know fifty eight years old, you can still see that that skill there. He had such a powerful stride, um, and you could hear the ice moving. Like, I mean, he's about I don't even know how tall he is now five eleven, but he his legs, if you haven't seen him, are like tree trunks. So. Right. He, every stride of his is like, foof, foof, and like the guy was so powerful and his stamina was so good that um, even to this day, like uh, up until a few years ago when Ray first retired, when he was in his 50s, I seriously thought he could have played for the Bruins and I, was, I wasn't kidding. I was <laughs> like, when he, he lost a bunch of weight and he was in really good shape and I was like, wow, I I actually think Ray could play now. <laughs> Probably could have, you know. He, he, Gordy Howe played yeah. till he was fifty-two, and there's no question in my mind that he could have. Mm-hmm. The way he skates, the way he thinks the game, how tough he is. There's no question in my mind that he could have. And I guess he might have thought about that at one time. <laughs> but yeah, he, he's such you know such a good player, such a good guy on and off the ice, but. At one time, when he was 50, he was still in the shape that I thought he could have played. Right. Absolutely. Uh, going back to you, so you had so many very interesting exper- experiences in your career. So you're part of this maiden voyage of this brand new team that's brought to you by Disney. And uh, to talk a little bit about that, that first year experience, you've got a lot of guys, a lot of, a lot of like uh, classy guys that I knew throughout my lifetime, like Troy Loney and Randy Latasor. Uh, what was that group like, and uh, what we, how would you sum up your experiences in year one of hockey in Anaheim? Well, year one in Anaheim was, was really good. Um, it was a new experience for everybody. Uh, Disney was new to hockey. The fans were new to it because they didn't really know uh, a lot about hockey. They thought we were actually the, the characters in the movie. <laughs> right. um, but our team that year was very actually very close. Um, we had a lot of good guys, a lot of good veteran guys from other teams, and uh, we were really close. We actually had a really good year that year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, a, it was just a great experience because Disney treated us like gold. There was no like expectations like what we should do, and that's what that's what kept us kind of loose. But you know, every one of us in the locker room had a lot of pride. So I mean, we all were like, hey we think we're NHL players. We're going to try to beat everybody we play. And that's mm-hmm. how we treated it. So we ended up having a really good, I mean, the LA Kings actually went to the finals the year before, and we actually came in before them. Uh, I think we set a record for wins by an expansion team that year too. Yeah. So we actually had a really good year, a lot of good players that were kind of, I hate to say cast us, but we were left exposed by our, 
by all of our teams to get picked in the expansion draft. So it's almost like we were playing with a little bit of a chip on our shoulders saying, Hey, all right, you want to leave me exposed? I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go out here and show you. So mm-hmm. a lot of guys had their best years ever. And, and I was one of them. I had my best, you know, I, I got a chance to play a lot more than I had anywhere else. Um, so I had one of my best years ever. And, and if you look top to bottom from that lineup, I think you're going to see a lot of guys in that first duck teams, really had their best years. Yeah, um, sure did, as so you said. It was, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was so it was a year that everybody loved, got a chance to play a little bit more than they were, they were normally did. And I mean, we were in California owned by Disney who really treated us great. So it was it was a great year. That'd be nice too, that just the atmosphere. I remember again going to that first exhibition game and going to the beach the next day and uh yeah, it's a nice thing to be playing in Anaheim or L.A. There's a lot of advantages, to be sure, when you're not playing. A lot of fun. I, I mean, we, we were lucky enough we got treated by a, a, a BMW dealership that wanted us just to drive their cars, so hopefully the, a couple of ducks would buy them, and that's what ended up happening. So we got we got nice cars to drive. You know, I lived in Newport Beach, which was a beautiful place mm-hmm. to live. You go to practice in your shorts, and you know it's it, the way of life is not that bad. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, Tim, you make your way back east. Uh, you uh, go with the Bruins uh, round two, and uh, similar things happen. You dominate the American Hockey League level, and you're productive uh, with the with the Bruins as well in, in the big club. Um, I remember you scoring. In fact, I, I have the video of it of you scoring in overtime to beat the Hartford Whalers, uh, one game. But um, tell me a little bit about uh, round two, coming back to the Bruins, getting a chance to play more, uh, but at the same time, you know, get, getting still going uh, back and forth to Providence at, at various times. Yeah. So um, I get back to Boston because you know, the, like I said, the first year in Anaheim was awesome. The second year, what happened was management seemed to think they need to make all these changes. So what happened was I was one of the changes. So I, my second year I went back, I was, I think I was fourth on the team in scoring. I come to training camp and all of a sudden I'm, it, it almost seems like they wrote me off right. <laughs> already. They're trying to make more changes. And, um, unfortunately that's what happens in business. So, um, I got, um, they wanted to send me to the mines and I was just like, you know, I had two more years of my contract and I was like, you know, if I'm not going to get a chance in Anaheim to play now, I'm like what I'd rather just get bought out and try to find someone else that would give me a chance, you know? Right. Um, what happened? So at the end of the year, I ended up going to Providence for the playoffs and having a huge playoff there and leading, leading the HL and scoring in playoffs. We ended up losing the semifinals and that, kind of got Michael Connell saying, hey, guy just ripped it up for us. Why don't we sign him again? So I ended up signing back with the Bruins. You know, the Bruins, it was always the same thing when I was there. It was They didn't think I was good enough probably to play on the top lines, but they didn't want me to be a checker. That that was always the, the thing that I ran into. Mm-hmm. Um, so they always want every time they gave someone else a chance and it didn't work out they would send them to Providence and they'd call me back up <laughs> it's like right. we know Sweeney can want to give this guy a chance 
<laughs> yeah, you know you're, so you're, you're going to score. That, that's the thing is you know you're going to produce. Yeah. And it's finding a role. And like so much, Tim, when you look back at uh, careers, and I look back at careers of guys who played, so much depends on there, – there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of dedication. But there's also fate. And – you know, sometimes you end up with the right coach and the right line mate, and you're you're flying. And I, I look at guys over time, uh, even a guy like Charlie Simmer, obviously before your time, but you know, a guy was just about ready to retire. He's down in Springfield. Uh, they have some injuries in LA. They call him up. They put him on the left wing with Dion, and he does what he does best, and yeah. he goes on to be, be a 50 plus guy. Um, so that's right. kind of like you know when I when I, when I look at and I look through your career, you say to yourself at any point. Uh, in that stretch head, you've just been given that that opportunity for 30, 40 games on a steady line, one of the top two or three lines, and uh, top one or two lines. Uh, maybe 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 things turn out differently for you because you can certainly score at every level. No question. And if you look at my numbers, even at the NHL level, like say Boston, mm-hmm. um, for the amount of playing time that I got, my numbers actually aren't bad. Um, like. Every time I was put into a position to score, I scored. It was just I. It, it wasn't very consistent, and that's always that was always the problem. Um, so you know, it is what it is. But if you look back at my career with Boston, like um, I think my last year with the Bruins, I only played a I don't know thirty six games, but I, I had like twenty something points. I'm like, that's not a bad clip. And so if you look at your your last two years of the Bruins. You played uh, 77 games. You had 18 goals. And that's with you know relatively limited playing time and without a lot of power play opportunities. So, like I said, you're very uh, efficient with your time when you're in the National Hockey League. Yeah, yeah. And that's just the way it was. I mean, back in those days, that's just the way it was. They, they had guys they thought they should play because they were probably making a I mean, it happened to me with the Rangers. I mean, the Rangers my last year – I ended up getting on the line with Pat LaFontaine and Kovalev, and we ended up doing really good for a good clip. Then all of a sudden, you know, someone's making more money than I am. I have a bad game. They put me back to the fourth line, and then, you know, you get buried there for a while. And it's just one of those things that, you know, um, if you're not on the big contract, that you know, they can just they can do what they want with you. you right. Know? It's um, uh, it can be a ruthless business. It's not always what yeah. it's what it's cracked up to be, and it's like, yeah. it's such, especially then. Uh, there's just a lot of. I'm not trying to make it dramatic, but there's just a lot of pressure. That yes, it's a great life. And yes, you're doing what you want to do, but at the same time, it comes with a lot of instability, a lot of uh, physical injury, and a lot of uh, a lot of insecurity. Oh, no question. A guy in my spot, absolutely insecurity because you don't know if you're in the lineup, you're out of the lineup. You don't know if you're going to get sent to the minus because you have a bad shift. Or like, yeah, back in those days, it was, that's how it was. Like, they kept you walking on eggshells. Egg like, you could not have a bad shift or, like, am I going to the minus because I made a bad play or am I going to say, like, right. that's how it was. Like, I'll give you a good example. Uh, Colin Campbell was my coach in, with the Rangers, all right? I was having a good year with the Rangers. If you look at my numbers, they're pretty good, and I didn't play a lot. But, you know, I was going through a stretch where I wasn't scoring, but I was on the fourth line, whatever, right? Um, if you're going to play four minutes a game, you're not going to score. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> so we're coming into Boston, right, my hometown, and he's well aware of it. Um, 
they don't tell me I'm not playing until after warm up, and I got like a bunch of family there. That's wow. how that's how cutthroat. So I have a bunch of family in in the uh, stands, bought tickets for them. I find out after warm up, they called up someone from the minors to play in my spot. Right. Mm-hmm. And then and guess what happens the next day? They send him back down, and I'm play, I'm in the lineup. So yeah. What does that tell you? Right. <laughs> it was cutthroat, and he's trying to send me a message like, you better start playing better, but how can I play any better if you're playing me four minutes a game? <laughs> oh, right, and especially at, at a time, yeah. you know, you, you would love just been on cloud nine out there uh, playing with well, your, in, in your, your, your no, hometown. He did it on purpose. You're right, he did it on purpose. He did it to send a message. It was like, hey, uh, okay, I get it, right? I get it. But th- those are the things that went on back in the day that, you know, you got to deal with. Right. You talked a little bit about uh, Ray Bork's preparation and his off-ice demeanor. Uh, how did, what were your impressions of, uh, of Wayne Gretzky as a teammate? Wayne was great. Uh, he really was. He, um, he um, was at the end of his career, like you said. Um, and um, just watching him how we did everything on a daily basis, um, how we prepared for games. And um, the thing I noticed most about him was he was he had such good hands that you could throw him a pass. You could throw him a pass in his feet, in the stick, bouncing. He had that thing corralled and ready to go in a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what separated him from a lot of players, like, he knew where the puck was going, but it didn't matter how bad the pass was. He was ready to he was ready to distribute the puck, snap of the fingers, and that's really what I noticed most about him. Because let's face it, he was at the end of his career; he was slowing down. But every time I saw him with the puck, I was like, <laughs> "Wow, his right. hands are unbelievable." <laughs> What's your mindset as uh, you complete that first year uh, in, in New York? And what do you what are you looking for going down the road at that point? Had you made your decision to to uh, end your career, or did you still have hopes of of, of sticking? Yeah, that year was great. Um, I had offers from the Rangers to re-sign, um, and then that summer they kind of balked on that. And um, I don't know, it kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. And I could still play. I had a good year. I had two young kids at the time. And um, I was just kind of fed up with the whole thing, like traveling. And, you know, I knew I had an education that I could maybe start a new career. So I think I was 31. And and at the end of the day, I I said to my wife, I was like, you know, I don't really think I want to go travel somewhere else and move and start in the minors again. I'm just... I was just kind of done with it because I was like, if no one wants to sign me after the year I just had with New York, you know, right. playing with Pat LaFontaine, right. scoring goals, like, then, all right, I've had enough. <laughs> right. uh, because, um, like I said, I was 31, I had an education, I had a finance degree, and I was like, I'm going to start doing something else if that's the case. So, and that was the case. I ended up signing with the Providence Bruins, which was closer to home, and I could drive down there, but. After the first two games I played, I just my heart was not in it, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. I think I'm just gonna go start my new life. Mm-hmm. 
And Tim, as we uh, get yep. down to the end here, I just wanted to ask you, when you make that decision to leave the Providence Bruins and leave your hockey career uh, behind, something you've been doing almost your entire life, what is a lot of people, understandably, have an adjustment period where you've had this life solely focused on, or many in many ways, a lot of, a lot of focus on uh, your your career in travel and practice and everything regimented. Did you have an adjustment uh, in 1998, 99, when you decided to pack it in into the non-playing part of your life? Yeah, the adjustment was was you know it was a little bit tough because this is all you're doing since you're a kid. And um, uh, the good thing that happened when I decided to stop playing was uh, I got a call from Jerry York at BC, and he was like, you know, uh, Tim, I just heard you were done. I was like. He was like, we have a radio position open if, you, if you're interested and we'd love to have you do the radio. And I, and I was like, you know what, that sounds pretty good. Because like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was going to give it a year to see what I wanted to do. And so I, I actually got to follow BC, which I hadn't followed for 10 years, and, mm-hmm. follow, and go do the games and do radio and kind of let me relax for a little bit. Right. And it turned out to be great because I, I, at the time, BC – was great. They, I think, for the couple of years that I did radio, they went to the Final Four twice, lost in the final. So it was actually, a, it was a lot of fun. Kept me in the game a little bit, but it gave me a little time to figure out what I wanted to do afterwards. And I really never looked back. Um, I never got the. A lot of guys that retire look back and say, "Hey, I'm going to come back and try it again." But I never really did look back, and it gave me that year to say, yeah, I'm definitely done, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into finance and try to find a job. Absolutely. Uh, but sticking with hockey, of course, you've gone on to be a great contributor with the Boston Bruins alumni, although this year you're on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> this year on the shelf. Uh, how, how are you feeling? Did you get you a hip replacement? I had a hip replacement about four months ago. I feel pretty good. Um but it's just one of those things where, you know, I had a lot of bent-up arthritis in my hip. It just got a time to get a new one. But I feel pretty good right now, and I'm looking forward to maybe skating again in the near future. <laughs> um, but I feel good. <laughs> That's cool. You're looking good. And i just curious, going to the, again with, with the Bruins alumni, I, I've been involved with them for, uh, I guess, for you guys, with five years now. Uh, a really cr- close-knit group, uh, all the way from the the, the staff of Battleship Bob Corbier and and the players, uh, and obviously doing a lot of good throughout the uh, community. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, that experience, uh, being able to uh, continually uh, continue to suit up with the Bruins alumni. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I, I got involved with the alumni right away as soon as I stopped playing. A uh, bunch of great guys. That's, that's the part of the game that we all miss, the, the camaraderie in the locker room, you know, people busting each other's chops. It's just it's so much fun to be around the guys. And that, and that, you talk to any NHL player, that's the most they miss out of anything is you spend so much time together traveling in the locker rooms a couple hours before games and the locker rooms during practice is just that's the camaraderie that you really miss when you leave and uh so that keeps it going keeps our juices flowing and you know i've been playing for the alumni for 25 years it's a lot of fun uh we, we get to raise money for a lot of good charities and we have fun doing it 
Absolutely. And my final question for you is, uh, your son Timmy uh, played in the Final Four D3 for Celebrate Regina uh, Hockey. And it reminds yep. me that you've got, but, but, based on your experiences, both in life and in hockey, what are the type of lessons did you, uh, you know, did you try imparting from your kids for some of the the, the lessons that you learned along the way in your career and how that, how that would, uh, how you would communicate that to your kids as a, as a lesson for them to learn. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, my son playing hockey, he got to the final four. I never did at BC. And, uh, you know, the thing about hockey is it's, it's, you want to be a good teammate. You want to get better every day and it gives you a lot of life lessons. And, uh, I think that's one of the things that I portrayed to my son that, you know, not everybody can do what I did. I mean, just, that's just not the case. Not everybody can do that, but mm -hmm. along the way you can make lifelong friendships. You can get better every day and you can go to school, you know, going to school and playing division three hockey is an accomplishment. Like right. not a lot of people are doing that. Like, so go enjoy your time for four years and hopefully you can get, you know, they got to the final game and enjoy your experience. It goes by very quickly, but you can learn a lot of life lessons while you're doing it. And, that, and that's one thing I tried to tell my son. Absolutely. Well, Tim, we really appreciate the time today and being on the show. And it was great to talk to you. And we will look forward to seeing you on the road very soon. Thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate it. Good talking to you. You too, Tim. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. Be sure to visit us at ProHockeyAlumni.org.